Hey everyone, welcome to How Greats Create. I'm your host, Alex Crompton. I've been writing music my whole life. Recently, I decided I want to get better at it, but no one could tell me the answer to my one simple question. How do the best musicians write music? So I decided to ask them. How Greats Create is a podcast where I interview world-class musicians I love, from pop to classical, and ask them how they write music. Of course, there's no magic formula, but I'm certain we can get pretty close. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on social media so you know when new episodes come out. And if you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate you leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. It makes a big difference in reaching more people. Enjoy. I am so excited for today's guest. Jason Gelchin and MJ Tan of Homeground Studios. Jason and MJ are the production and songwriting genius behind most of Singapore's top pop artists. Their artistic client list includes Jasmine Soko, Gentle Bones, Yao, Nathan Hartono, Alex Brizzy, Lin Ying, Samari, and dozens more, racking up tens of millions of streams with Homeground tracks. On top of this, they make music for ads, film, and TV for big brands like Puma, Lazada, Cosmopolitan, Bridgestone, Fanta, and the list goes on. Even their ads get millions of views on YouTube. Their music is impeccable. Think gorgeous vocals, lush soundscapes, and very hooky hooks. Check out their homegrown playlist on Spotify for an ascent into pop heaven. What's more impressive for me, Jason and MJ are building this pop empire off their own hard work and talent. You only have to go back to 2015 to find Jason doing internships at a couple of studios while studying at Singapore Poly and MJ studying at Niam Poly. In just a few years, they've managed to create a studio and make all of this great music, getting more awards than I can mention in one podcast. You can check out Homeground and links to their work at all in the description. Um, thank you so much for coming. It's really, really nice to have you here and I appreciate it so much. Woo! <laughs> 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 Thanks for having so us, Alex. Maybe you can start off by just talking us through your journey in music. So when you started writing, when you started producing, what kind of things you were into and how that all happened. So I started when I was 18. Like really, really started doing music. Before that, I was just really playing video games a lot. <laughs> <laughs> My friend gave me like 10,000 songs and then he was like, okay, listen to these songs. I think it's cool. And then like he gave me this Apogee, you know, the first Apogee one. It's this small little box with one button and you press to record. And so when I did it, I was like, hey, this is easy. I could do this for a living, you know, like, like this seems like easy. Just go there and my friend plays guitar and I just press recording and tell him why it's bad. So then, in, in that epic genius, I was like, okay, you know what? I was in junior college at the time. I was going to quit. And uh, yeah, so I, I quit and I, I basically like hit my, like, 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 like I forged my mom's signature to get out of JC because he didn't get a picture. So like, I got out and then like, I pretended to work. So I worked at a Malayan. So I pretended to go to JC. So I wear the uniform, get out, go to my shift in the Malayan, right? By changing out in Sentosa, like <laughs> into like civilian clothes for like four months. And then when April hit for Polytechnic, I was like, hey mom, I changed. I'm doing music now. Bye. Oh my God. That, that really started it. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound sensible at all. It was not. It was, it was, it was not. <laughs> But yeah, so actually, honestly, it's cool. Wait, but could you, could you play an instrument or was it? Yeah, I could play like the bass guitar at that point in time. But honestly, until now, I have not practiced. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm like the guy who, you know, the typical, like, oh, as a producer, I only can press keyboard. And like, that's my instrument. Wow. Space bar. Space bar. Clicking. That is crazy. So, yeah. I've so how did the, you, how did you? decide oh i actually do want to spend time on this if you okay before that like i could 
So, like, the one thing I tell everybody is that before this, I couldn't sit still and do anything for, like, an extended period of time. Like, the longest time I had, like, a job was three days. Like, okay. before music. And, like, I could sit down and do something that I found very interesting. So, like, I clocked, like, 720 hours on Skyrim. Like, <laughs> I knew Skyrim better than I knew Singapore. But, like, before <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, I, I thought, like, okay, you know what? A job is something far away and I couldn't sit down and do anything. Until I did the recording session and I sat down for, like, 12 hours straight and we just bang out the whole song. Hmm. And then I was like, oh, I sat down like for this long and like there's a real possibility, you know, like that this could be something. Hmm. And yeah, at that point in time, I was pretty lost. So like, um, all my friends told me, you know, or, like my mom also, also has been telling me like, if you want to jump, just jump. But if you're going to jump, jump all the way. Like hmm. don't just do a half-ass jump. Like don't just like, okay, I'm going to try and dabble and then go. No, if you're going to jump, you go all the way until you fail. And then like, then you go and think about what you want to do next. Hmm. So yeah, so when I made the jump, like, of course she freaked out. Uh, cause she told me this, but she didn't expect me to actually like do it music. She was trying to think of lawyer, doctor, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like come and be a, like do medicine. But then I was like, I'm gonna do music in a country where like before 2015, if if you don't know, like the Singapore pop scene was really like almost non-existent. We didn't have Gentle Bones yet. Sam Willows was the only the real big thing. Charlie Lim. Uh, a lot of people haven't come out yet. Like Ling Ying was just starting out. So a lot of these names that you are familiar with today from Singapore like really did not like have any like presence five years ago. So mm. doing music like previously in, in 2015 when you tell your parents and this was sorry, this is 2012. It's like three years before even the golden age of local music. Like they of course go like, it, 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 there's nothing. There's really nothing. Whereas now mm. you can like quote, like look at the willows. Like look how, mm. how, how, how well they're doing. Look at Bones, Jenna Bones. Look how well mm. he's doing. Look at Jasmine Soko winning mm. EMA, you know, going all the way, flying all the way to Spain to get it. Like, mm. Talk to me like seven years ago and I'll tell you that you're high and like you have like <laughs> vision. Like, yeah. But I mean, it was it was usually that. And then I honestly like was really not really serious about it until I started interning under this guy named Roland Lim. Mm. And yeah. And that's where I actually like I met like a lot of, of my current clientele and a lot of friends. And Play a Show actually has worked with Roland Lim before as well. Mm. Uh and so that guy was a Spartan, like, like he was like King Leonidas in his, in his like studio. I, I should not, when I went into his studio, there were four of us interns, right? Like we, we had to like work and compete with each other. And like the winner would like stay. <laughs> that was the first day in. Like I was like, I was like, oh, I, I got an internship. It's like, no man. Like, that's like, like <laughs> it's like, I don't need all of you, but I hired all of you. So at the end of the month, I'm going to see who remains. Wow. And so like, like it was, and I remember the first day I, 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 I came in at like 11 and then at 7 I was packing up to go home, right? Because 11 to 7, right? 9 to 5, 11 to 7. And then he looked at me and he was like, you're going home now at, at 7? Really? Oh, okay, okay. Uh, just so you know, if you're going to walk through that door at this timing, don't come back. And then I just, I was like, whoa, shit, okay. <laughs> and I unpacked my laptop and I put it back down and I continued working and Basically, like, I had to work until he closed shop, which was, like, 11.30, like, last bus, 11.30 p.m. So I had to work. That was my first experience working, like, 12 hours nonstop. And he did that to us, like, six days, seven days a week. It was always 10 to 11 hours, like, like crazy amounts of work. And he would just keep piling and piling on. And he paid, like, super little. So I earned, like, 250 bucks sing a month. Oh, God. Like, that was how little I earned. I always but found that was- crazy when, when I moved to Singapore because when he said... Our company up. I was used to like what you do in London, and so we put out job ads for an internship, which paid like 
it's like two and a half, three K a month or something, which is like the living oh. wage in London. And oh. we got so many applications because everyone was like, oh my God, you're like paying me enough to like live. <laughs> and, uh, and then we found out that, yeah, like interns in Singapore, often just like you basically don't get paid anything. Like nah, it's insane. Nah, I don't nah. understand that. Do you see our reaction? We said, "Dude, I want to work for that." Like, <laughs> and you're like, "Dude, like, what?" If we saw your ad as kids, we would be like, "Like, that's that's a full like job right there." <laughs> yeah. I'll be an so, intern for life. Ten yeah. percent <laughs> of that was our intern pay. Like, at, I was eighteen, nineteen at the time. And yeah, and so he basically grilled, and that was where like I met like Gentle Bones. I met like this band called Take Two, a few others. Like I met some of the Willows also at that point of time. And yeah, so like like initially, like when I went there and it, he was the one who really taught me about work ethic and also like what not to do as a producer because he was really like a tyrant and he was well, he's right now but very infamous in the scene for being like, like a dick, like hmm. just a horrible person. Like he would, he would scam money, doesn't pay on time, he's shady and he's like, he would like every time there's a female client that's relatively hot, he would tell me like it is girls into me. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm oh. dishing all the dirt on him. Yeah. Like, oh, we out here now. Yeah. <laughs> there's no turning back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah, but like he he really forced me to work. Like I, before this, like when I tell people how how long I work, because to this day I still work six, seven days, like a mm. week. I work ten hours minimum a day. And like MJ will vouch for me when he when he say when I say this. And that's how we exploded so fast as homeground within like three years. We we were talking about Elon Musk before the recording started, right? And so Elon Musk said, think about like somebody working a 40 hour work week, right? Eight eight hours a day. That's 40 hours a week. Now, if you do a hundred hours a week, right, you can actually complete what they do in a year in like three months. And that to me was like, that's, that's everything. Like I, mm. I'm, I'm starting late, right? Because I'm starting at 18. So there are these kids who have been playing piano since they were 12 or exposed to music since they were eight even, right? I need to catch up because mm. I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't play on the field. I can't like, oh, you know, you've been doing music since young. You want to work 40 hour weeks, I work 40 hour weeks and then we're the same. Mm. I can't do that. I need to work like 100 hours. I need to exponentially grow so fast that by the time I reach like, we match like 25 or 24, uh, 24, 25 when I need to get a job and a living, we're at the same level. Mm. And so like, that's what I did for, like even through army, like how I did in army was after I left Roland and I went into army, I did like, we my camp started at 6 a.m. So I would wake up at like five, get to camp at six. My camp was from six to two, two, two thirty. And like by three, three thirty, I'm at home. And at four o'clock, uh, like, I start recording. Mm. And I'm recording all the way until like 12 midnight. Mm. 12, 12 to 1 a.m. And then I sleep for four hours. I wake up at five again. And then I, I repeat this. And I repeat this every day until for two years, until my mm. national service was done. Mm. And like, like that's where you saw like most of Jasmine Soko stuff was done in NS. Like uh, her stuff with Porcupine, her stuff with uh, even like, I think Hurt was also done when I was in NS. Wow. I only came out and like, yeah, I, I, like all was it was all with the gender bones. Yeah, I worked gender bones in NS. Wow. It was really like that. And Joel knew this. Uh, his name is Joel. He knew the struggles of like, of what I was going through. So they, they were like, they were always coming in at four and I made sure to pack out my schedule. So every single day I was working. But her, her as an example, like that sounds radio ready, right? It doesn't sound like someone who's yeah. been doing this for like, I don't know, like even a couple of years, right? It's really, really polished and really good. And I, I have to like credit Jasmine on that. Like she, she working with her 
made me who I am today. Like she's so detail oriented. Like she she sent me like a mixed review, like a review, right? It's three pages long. It's essay. It's an mm. essay on what to do. Mm. And like I had to read through with it with her. And then like we had to go through the changes bit by bit. And then it's like every time we did like four reviews, so I have like 12 pages of notes. Like wow. on document form. And like yeah, and that's why it's so polished because uh, we wanted to to make something that was was really like I I was always aiming like back in Singapore we always have this thing like um if you go overseas or overseas producers are superior you know like they they always have this feeling like okay if you want to once you make it in Singapore go work overseas mm. like and then you go work with overseas producers as an artist or if you're a good producer you go work overseas mm. like for me I wanted to be like no why why are we going overseas why not why can't we bring them here so I wanted to be so good that. When you go overseas and you come back here, you look at me and be like, oh, okay. Actually, I don't need to go overseas. Like, yeah. The quality is already here. Yeah. And the standard is there. And like, and like, if you wanted to compare to like the standard overseas, you can just go on YouTube and you can see like a genius deconstructed. Like what's the standard there? Like they have documentaries, like Pooh Bear has a documentary, a writer for Justin Bieber. You can go see how the work ethic is, their, their quality of work, how fast they write. It just take small snippets. So I did my research. I did my studying. I'm like, okay, so this is their standard. Mm. This is what I need to hit. And I set like a goal by 25, I will hit all these standards. And this, and that was the driving force. And then we did so much research. For Jasmine, especially, we studied a lot of Max Martin, his production works. There's actually a Max Martin playlist on Spotify. Mm. So like, like I went through all of it. Uh, went through, there are actually Berkeley lectures, like mm. Berkeley Music College lectures, mm. master classes on YouTube as well. I, I think the lectures upload because they're late, like if, in case students miss. Mm. But if you really think they're like 10k stream, like streams or 2012k views, it's very little, but full one hour. There's mm. one on weekends come feel my face. And I watched all of this and I studied all this. School mm. wasn't really like 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 deep, like poly wasn't really helpful. Mm. Like it didn't really teach me what I need to know. So I went to the internet and like everything, mixing, mastering, recording, everything I learned from the internet. Mm. I, I didn't my mentors only taught me how to use Cubase, the program that I use, and mm. everything else learned from the internet. Hmm. I'm curious what you were able to perceive when you were like listening to those tracks I'm not an expert and like I basically started learning production this year even though I played in bands and stuff before in the beginning you just don't even know what there is that you don't know you know every bit that I learn I like discover I'm like able to hear something I wasn't able to hear before do you know what I mean like when you're listening to a track it becomes more apparent over time do you remember any like the first things that you realized existed? Like or the first time you really understood like compression or like any songs that really taught you a lot? Compression, definitely. One note melodies. That that changed my like 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 spiel. When I realized that Max uses a lot of one note melodies, especially for Taylor Swift's 1989 album. Hmm. And uh yeah, but honestly, it was like you, like just like I didn't know until like I know better. And but imagine doing this every single day for years. There was no like shortcut. I'm not talented. But mm. I always tell people this. I'm not talented. Just do this, right? Hearing it, this dissecting the best you can. Now do this 365 days. Now do that for two years. Mm. Now if you're telling me at the end of those two years, you're not <laughs> great at it, then you are obviously doing something wrong. Like, like <laughs> no way. No way. You, if you do this, and I swear, like, because that's what I did. And, and like, if you go and watch all the videos from all these LA producers, right? They don't, they, they tell you this. This is literally what they say. Just do it every single day. 
And like everyone just goes like, ah, you know, they're talking smack because probably they're born gifted or like talented. So I wanted to actually take it literally. Like what if I took their advice literally? What if I just did it every single day for two years? I mean, what could I lose? Just two years of my life. I mean, and I was in NS. So like I'm, I was grateful because NS gave me that time to like just try out this. Like for those of you that listening that don't know what NS means, is national service. Singapore has to do compulsory national service. Yay, Singapore. <laughs> and I think it's great. Like, like I really, I really like, enjoyed my time in NS. And yeah, and like doing that, and for those like two years, I just did it every single day. And the end of the two years, I like years, that right? shout out to the Singapore system. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If you meet a lot of guys in Singapore, they'll say NS is a waste of time. I'm like, that's two years I can just experiment and I can serve my country. So like, it's like, I don't lose anything. Like, and, and it's just a win-win. And it's how you use those two years. Because in a lot of places, right? Like if you don't have these two years to sit back and actually think, like you're forced, like during circuit breaker, you're forced to take a step back. But now imagine that for two years, you're forced to take a step back. You're forced to plan. Like when you come out, you have two years less. So how are you going to catch up? What is right? So during that period, you're working on this stuff every day. Presumably at the beginning, you don't have loads of people who want to work on things with you. So are you remaking tracks? Are you writing no. stuff? Or what, what are you actually doing? I just offer free work. Huh. And like, I was like, I know, I know myself back then, like, I was, I was, I wanted to get good at producing people. And before, for my philosophy is before I charge people, like I need to make sure that I'm good at it. Because I don't want to sell you a service that I'm my sure I'm not sure of. So at the start, like I did it for free. How I got gender bones, I told him come to my studio, do an eight hour free session. Mm. Do eight hours. And then if you hate me, just take whatever, whatever I've I, I recorded that day. Just take, keep it. I'll tune it for you even. I'll tune on the vocals. I'll make it nice for you. You lose nothing but just mm. give me eight hours at a time. Mm. And then he was like, sure. And then like, that's how I got to work on the vocals for that full album with him and Mern. Mm. Like literally that first, first session, he liked me so much that he was like, okay, I'm going to keep coming back. Mm. And then we just kept working together and kept going, kept going, kept going for like the whole entire year. Mm. Jasmine's the same thing. It was like, when she came in, I was like, I'll do this mix. All right, I'm not that great. I'm, I'm just starting out. I just started out like a year ago at that point in time. I'll do it for 200 bucks. Mm. song. And she was like, sure, I have nothing to lose. And then after that, like when she realized that I got good and I, I was good and I was getting better, then of course the rate starts to increase. Mm. But at the start, like I just kept offering free work. I just kept extending my hand out just saying like, you want something done, I'll do it for free. Like I needed the training. It's like, mm. you know, like those Kung Fu movies where like you have the training montage. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, need, you need to go through that training. Like I, I, I know now a lot of people don't believe in free work or like offering your services for free. But you mm. see, at the point of time I had NS. So... Mm. There was no, even if I don't get money, right, I have the national service allowance. Hmm. Hey, if you're enjoying the episode so far, I'd love it if you would leave a review or share it with a friend. Makes a huge difference for us. Thanks. Maybe, maybe before we get into that, maybe we can uh, hear MJ's story because that, because yes, otherwise, yes. otherwise yeah. we might go into like a whole, a whole different rabbit hole. So I at least want to get sorry, MJ. MJ's story on the tour table as well. And then we can ask the like more uh, detailed questions. Yeah, yeah so God damn, Jason, like you. you're just hogging <laughs> up the limelight at this point. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here goes. Um, I didn't really like music at the start. <laughs> okay. So I, I think uh, this must have been when I was like seven in primary school, something like that. We had like very elementary music classes back in school. Mm. And I remember like having to play like Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars on, on a recorder or something. And it was it was a god awful like instrument. 
And I mean, it wasn't like as though the, the teachers were, were proficient within the subject matter as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, if that was like the first, like the first brunt of experience with music, then I think it was very easy for a seven-year-old boy like myself to conclude that, hey, you know, music sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but along the way, it became a scenario where we had to start exploring and considering like co-curricular activities in school. And for some reason, I ended up in concert band and I was, and I was terrible. You know, I, I, uh, are we all familiar with like the, the show Whiplash? Yeah, the yeah. One with, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had like a, I had like a keyboard stand flung at me once <laughs> because I, because I couldn't play like the Glockenspiel and the Zelfen properly. <laughs> that was truly like a terrifying experience. But I, it kind of rejuvenated my idea of what music meant and also like the interest with music because not so much it's not so much about the music itself but like the, the camaraderie that exists between people in, in, in like a large setting especially in concert symphony bands so I kind of let that go moved on and, and aged up to towards my teenage years and started to listen to like a bit more like oh I was listening to like Slipknot Lamb of God just metal metal bands we, and stuff were you playing an instrument at that point? Yeah, I, was, uh, I started picking up like the, the guitar at nice. 13. And then, yeah, I, I'm not exactly even sure how I even spiraled down the rabbit hole that is like the whole metal music spectrum. But I was hey. there, I was enjoying myself. And I guess in that era, it was kind of like in hindsight, a bit of a golden age for yeah. that, that stuff, right? I remember like being really into corn. I don't know if that was like before your time. But no, no, like... that was great. Yeah, that's good stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like truly like the golden age 100% because like we, we were talking about it uh, um, a time frame where MTV would be playing like yeah. Slipknot like and then Kerrang and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I can't remember the others. Oh my god. So so we have like Slipknot and then after that like coming up next uh, is Jersey Shore. <laughs> 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 so there was there was you know that was like the the, the pinnacle of where uh, the music was you know and I think I started experimenting towards like a performing artist kind of route, which is where it splinters up from Jason's growth slightly for a while. I joined, I kind of like formed a band, a, a, a band with a couple of friends in school. We had like the amazing opportunity to play uh, and perform regionally. We had our own like EP and, and merchandisers and it was all sorts of fun. We played in Australia, Indonesia, Malaysia. That was with the first band. Okay, that's the second band coming up. Along the <laughs> way, and this is exactly how I got to meet Jason because uh, Jason mentioned that he was working with, with this producer called Roland. And my, my band happened to be recording with Roland as well. So when I got to, when I got to meet Jason, it was actually in, in Roland's studio. Mm. And I, did, I mean, we didn't, really, we didn't really get to know each other very well at the time. But we just kind of like hung out and smoked a couple of cigarettes and like just get back to our own business after that. Moving then fast forward, you know, it's back to national service. Oh, sorry. Before that, it was like my diploma program in, in Neon Polytechnic. Mm. And I had like this whole music thing going on, but I was studying film as well, uh, film production. And it kind of brought me towards a very different trajectory and interest of, hey, perhaps... I could consider like directing or producing a video content documentary. And 
then we entered national service. When we came out, I was I was brought back by an ex band member who his name is Marlon. And actually, just to kind of create some context here, before I got to work with Jason properly, Jason had this other partner. His name is Marlon. And the reason why Marlon faded out of the, the framework right now is because uh, he was also a bit flaky and flighty. Lah. He, was, he was doing all sorts of very questionable things as well behind the scenes. That was, I think, the something... I found out was... that the real gangster industry of Singapore is the music business. Oh yeah, I was you always wondering where the dark side yeah. was. <laughs> you are truly at the underbelly of like society right now. <laughs> and I mean, I I was kind of introduced to Jason again via Marlon because he used to be my ex bandmate as well, performing together overseas and stuff. And he was, you know, introducing me to like, hey, you know, maybe you can all three of us could like start like a music audio production kind of space here in Singapore as well. And Jason was already on board, and I'm just like, eh. I mean, let me just like kind of spe- let me just kind of spectate this and and see like how how it goes because I I can understand that Jason was in a very collaborative mood with with Marlon, but I think I'm just responding um, for- this. I was young and dumb. <laughs> it was well, one I mean, of the mistakes. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, Jason, I mean, there was it was quite a journey for you as well, right? I mean, and got to learn a thing or two from Marlon as well. I don't know. I mean. Even if that resolution is maybe I shouldn't work with crooks. But, but hey man, I'll, I'll tell you about this after MJ is done. But like, <laughs> trust me, it is a story. It's a story. But as, I, as, I kind of, as I kind of expected, things didn't really work out very well. Unfortunately, this Marlon character, he is very, very talented. He is a, a hugely musical person. He's great as an engineer, as a producer as well. It's just that he's also a bit of existential kind of um, Bojack Horseman character. Like. And yeah, so Marlon came off. No, sorry, Jason exited the picture and then Jason became a lone wolf by himself. I re-entered the, the framework and I think at the point of time, it was a lot of discussion between Jason and I about like how we could integrate this. Jason was very interested and was really like in the whole spiral of producing some of the biggest artists here in Singapore. On the other side, I disclosed that like I'm trying to figure out what additional services could be introduced into Homeground Studios. Yeah. And it kind of brought me back around the idea of film and the idea of music, both like separate entities. I'm, I'm just kind of figuring out for myself, like how would I, how is it possible to merge these two interests of mine and create a cohesive service that would prove to be helpful for, for someone else? Mm. And naturally that kind of led towards like film and TV music, even peripheral audio post services for for brands and for for our clients. Mm. So I think that is yeah. That, this is where we are today, and yeah, I'm on gardening right I'm, now. I'm gonna <laughs> tell you something, Alex. Right, MJ was the guy who told me, right? Hey, do whatever you're doing with the artists, do it for the brands. Mm. He was the guy who told me that. And I was at first, I was like, nah, doesn't make sense. So, but he was the one who really pushed for it. He really, really brought that onto home ground. Like, like before that, I was like, artist all the way, man. Mm. And then he was like, no, 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 you're not, you're not seeing the bigger picture. Like, brands need this. Mm. They need this sound that you're making. This idea, you're, you're working with all these people. Right? Bring it over. There's no one in that market, right? Mm. That's doing what you're doing. Mm. It's gonna open a whole new niche. 
Mm. And I was like, and and so like I, I told him, like, and this is true. I told him, okay, Ken, but you come in and you handle that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, yeah, it's like, like I, I, he because he did that, like we have all these brands. Yeah. We have uh, we have Fanta, we have like Exxon, we have all these crazy brands. Like if MJ didn't push me, I'd probably just have only the artists and work mm. on. Mm. Yeah. Because it, it helped out on my side, like I was already before even like integrating the business with, with Jason, I was already in the talks with some of the more prominent figures in the film industry, perhaps like producers, uh, key like head of department characters, like directors and producers from a couple of different uh, film production companies and creative mm. agencies here in Singapore. And when I was kind of building that rapport, it's almost like a subtle sliding into the Instagram DMs kind of context of, hey, by the way, <laughs> like, you know, I'm also doing this, this new thing now. Yeah. And we are hoping to see like what sort of collaborative effort could be explored between both of us. And I think that's where like the business venture and the, the, the beginnings of the diversification kind of yeah. started. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So yeah. maybe we can dive into the process a little bit. Cause I'm, I, I'm really interested in just like how, it, how it works. Maybe if we start with artists and we can also talk about the, the, the brand stuff after, like, how does it, what stage do people actually come to you at? Are they like, I already have this song and it's me on a guitar or me on a piano? Or are they like, I kind of know I want it to sound like this and I have a demo. What's the like level of readiness? Honestly, like it's everything. So like Jasmine stuff producers. So for some songs, I'll have mm. it right off the bat, completely like for her, like 50, 60% done. Mm. And then like, it's just like, we need help writing the, the melodies and the lyrics and forming it together or like recording them and writing harmonies and stuff like that. Mm. So most of the time, that's the case with some bands. Like I did certain bands, it just comes in, I have this idea. Mm. Uh, nowadays, mostly what we do is, uh, what I do is I, I work with artists who already have demos, done demos because everyone now is, is a producer. Everyone now mm. can work from home. So mm. everyone can just do a basic demo and that really honestly saves a lot of time on my side because mm. instead of sitting down with you for like eight hours, play keyboard, get you to figure it out. You can do mm. that all at home. You bring mm. it to me and then like, I can just start from there. So we, we skipped the process ahead. Mm. But back then it was, it was, it was all kinds. It was really like everything. Like there was, there was, and yeah, there was no like, there's no one kind of way to work. Mm. Yeah. If someone comes to you, let's say they have this, I guess, skeleton of the song. What, it, what are the questions that you ask them? Do you ask for like reference tracks? Do you go into the meaning of the song like how, or how they want to, how do they describe it? How do you figure out how to make the most out of it? Yeah. First thing, reference for sure. Like mm. I'll get a Spotify playlist, make it collaborative. Mm. Second thing is meaning of the song. Mm. So, and then the thing is I'll pitch my own like vision for the song. So mm. it'll be these three things. Like what I got before I hear these two things. Yeah. This is why I think the song is going, I'll pitch my own references even. Mm. Like, so these are the references that I think the song should go. And mm. after that, I'll hear your side of it. And so you have a rough idea of how I envision the song as an outsider. Mm. Of a listener. So why I, I do that is I want you to know how it feels like for the listener. Mm. Because if, if I just hear all your references and I hear your message, but if I can't get that message on the first listen, we need to fix that. Mm. So, so like, yeah. So does that ever mean that the songs take a really different direction than the artist originally expected? There are some songs where like we we flip the whole thing on its head. Like just 
just one one 180 degree stun and then because like I, they were like yo so this song's about like my breakup with my girlfriend I'm like dude I thought your mom died like, <laughs> <laughs> like I thought this is a song honoring like the fact that your mom passed away like I I, I didn't know that your, it was you and your girlfriend and <laughs> we song is that? So, so okay so I'll give you a real example like I rewrote yeah. all yeah. the lyrics with Yao for Love and City Lights the song we did because yeah. right the song was supposed to be in honor of the fact that his girlfriend and he was going to sing to his girlfriend that uh, no matter like rain or, or stormy weather I'll be with you forever right mm. and then like he says this whole thing where like I will love you forever but love doesn't last forever baby then I was just like wait bro the whole chorus you're saying, I, w- I will love you forever. I will love you through rain and stormy weather, but love doesn't last forever. It doesn't make any sense. Like, so do you love her? You don't love her, dude. Like, <laughs> in the verses, it's like, it's like, it's like hot, 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 hot. And then like, suddenly like 180 likes, like, like it was like, oh, I love her. I love her. I love her. Maybe she's not the one. Okay, but she's the one. You know what I mean? And then like, if huh. you see your face, you're like, you're like, I don't get what you're trying to say. And like, that yeah. was me when I had the song. So we had to really like rewrite everything so it was one straight message of like it's just like unending just like love like it's just it's just like like complete love like it just how is it like like how do i say it it's like never ending love right like it's like this like complete love like when you want to marry the person they kind of love like you think that's that's do you think it's important then for songs to have a kind of single identity for want of a better word are you trying to find the simplest way of conveying a particular thing rather than you know that song you're so vain or whatever you're so vain yeah. probably sing the songs about you it's become iconic because it has the layers and it is almost like ironic for that reason but in general pop songs don't do that right in general pop songs you have a really clear vibe like a really clear thing you're going for is that something that's important for you when you're like conceptualizing the song Meaning is definitely the most important. Like, mm. straight up. Like, that's what I got from working with bands. Mm. And I feel like that's what makes the pop that we make at Homeground different. Mm. It's because, like, a lot of the biggest songs we've worked on, right? Like, Hurt for Jasmine, that's actually about an ex-boyfriend. Mm. Right? Thursday for Axel. That's really because, like, Axel and Marion, they were on the song and they actually met their significant others, like, because they're so busy mm. on a Thursday. Mm. And so, like, like every song that that eventually like blew up or like went to a certain level of success has like a deeper meaning behind it. And mm. the songs that doesn't have such a deep meaning behind it, the ones that I just like, like I do for fun, mm. like I, a song called "Broke Broke AF," which mm. I don't know if I can swear, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just like broke as fuck, and like it's really just a, a song to troll like like people, and mm. that didn't do well because it's it's really just it's just a little dicky kind of thing. But as in Singapore, like I, f- I realized the secret sauce, honestly, to sing- getting Singaporeans to like your music is just write things with meaning. Because if you write like one dimensional type stuff, nobody's gonna listen. Mm. So the more layered your music, the more layered your meanings, like the more people will listen, and the mm. more like like successful the song will be. Mm. So straight away that once I identified that, like that became like the main focus for a lot of songs is what's the meaning behind your, what's the message behind a song. If there's no message, then you don't really have a song. All you have is you want to get clout. Like that's mm. what you're just writing songs for, like fame. Mm. And how do you balance the meaning with the sound? You mentioned earlier Max Martin, right? He's kind of famous for being sound orientated. And there's that anecdote about where how he told Ariana Grande at one point to sing something which is grammatically incorrect just because yes. like no one's going to listen to like most people that listen to our music aren't don't speak English anyway so just sing the things that sounds good how yeah. do you balance that I, I would say straight up like I think Max has figured out like 
the secret sauce behind that. I'm still figuring it out. I, I honestly have no idea how he does it so well every single time. Like, it's hard. Like, it's really hard. It's like, like does this sound speak sadness? Then you just... It's just like, I don't know. And then the artist looking at you like, <laughs> like, it's like you're, way, you're being, too, being too much. Like, we just want to get the song done. And then like, yeah. So, but I try to put in like little like bits and pieces for like, we did a song with Estelle Fly, Love Like This. Mm. So the mm. song is basically like dying for a love like this, right? So there's this vocal like chop in, in, the, cor- in the, the drop, basically. Mm. So the vocal drop actually says, I surrender, I surrender to you, to you. Because, and then it ends with the vocal drop says, I surrender, I surrender to you, to you, mm. then die for love like this. Because you're dying, like she's she's basically singing about like how she's in love with this guy who is like very toxic. Mm. Yeah, and she's just literally like, like it's killing herself to be in love with this. So like she's like surrendering herself to the guy because she just can't help stop loving, loving mm. him, right? So I hit that in the vocal hook. And you cannot tell because I distorted it so much that it says that, but you feel it. You know, mm. like, like if you really, like once I tell you this and you go back and listen to the song, right, you'll hear the words, I surrender, I surrender to you. Yes. I was going to ask you what the references are for that because you have the like, I don't know, the like hits, the like dun, 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 that come, yeah. coming in the background. And I'm, I'm sure there's a reference for that. that I couldn't figure out what it is. Like where, where did you get that from? The, 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 okay, so the brass is, is yeah. from Spice. It's called Cashmere's Brass. So yeah. I heard it and I'm like, Cashmere's Brass is sick. Like it was... But honestly, there was, there was no reference for that. Like, huh? I just like, I really huh. just like the brass. Like, it, it was just dope. Yeah, it like, is so cool. I was, I, but it gave me a real feeling of like, oh, this like, is like familiar excitement. You know what I mean? When you listen to uh, it, yes, I get this. That, that, was, that was really it. Like, like, I heard the brass and I, was, I couldn't figure out what to make for the drop. Mm. So I just, I threw it in there. I was like, dude, this sounds amazing. And I saw Estelle's face light up. And then we were like, okay, that's it. Like, most of the time for me, it's just play of a sound. And the moment the artist like, uh, I don't know if you know, like, uh, Big Oak, this producer, he produced Demi Novato, Sorry Not Sorry. Uh, okay. uh, you can go watch it on YouTube, right? And yeah. so he was, like, basically saying how he played his gospel chords, and then, like, she didn't feel it until he added, like, snaps. And then she just went, like, what's that? <laughs> he played the same chords the whole way. All he did was add snaps. And then she suddenly, like, looked up, and, like, that, that, that's, that's literally half the time you're just, like, as a producer, you're, like, playing stuff, and you're, like, please react. Tell me it's <laughs> Like, like, I don't know. <laughs> it was really that moment where, like, I was I was trying ideas after ideas. Like, there, there's like two different versions of love like this. Like the, the drop where like she just like nah, bro, nah. And I was like, oh, okay, 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 okay. Let me try something. And so when I hit that brass on Cashmere, and then like she heard it, and she was like, oh. I was like, okay, great. And like, I mean, I've been abusing that brass sound ever since because I just love it. Like, it's something about brass that makes you go. Like, yeah, just, I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. I was actually chatting with someone. There's this one moment in the latest Harry Styles track that I absolutely love. Coming out of the first chorus of Watermelon Sugar, he just has this it, this brass hit, and you hear it like it's just that moment. And maybe it comes in later in the song, but that's first time it's introduced, and then you have 30 seconds without it. But it just gives such an insane lift, and it's so exciting. It's so uh, exactly the extra. I mean, that's been a huge like utilization with orchestral hits with like some. Uh, pop songs as 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 always like you know back in the 70s 80s till today mm. i think a lot of you'll find that a lot in current days like with bruno mars and then you know in retrospect things uh way back like from michael jackson's like material as well mm. there are plenty of like top hits that introduce some form of orchestral hits that i think is kind of aligned towards what you guys are talking about right now mm. Mm. and so i guess related to this do you have any like either 
how much do you think about like the environment and the tools that you're in when you're writing? How do you think about yeah the tools that you use to to make stuff? If I were to be honest, like it depends on okay. So if I were to create my own song, that take a chance, sure. Yeah. Like I would just go through slice or like I'll go on the synth, like on my spear, press one thing. <gasps> this is dope. Okay, I'm gonna make a beat out of this. I like go slice and I heard like like one like like loop, like the choir loop, and I'm like, okay, you know what? That would make a sick hip hop track. I'm just gonna make make it. But mm. when it comes to like artists, it it like I'm working on a track with Sandra now and her inspiration was bang bang, right? So straight mm. off the bat, I knew what I'm looking for. I'm looking for horns, I'm looking mm. for like more acoustic drums, and I'm looking for maybe drum lines, um, mm. less synthy stuff more mm. organic sounds. So that's straight up my first thing that I go and look for. So mm. when there's a vision, it's easier. Mm. But when it comes to creating something from scratch, it's really like, just take a chance and see what 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 comes up with. Like, you don't really know. But that's also the one, which I would say, the, I'll call them the writing camps. The one where like, we, we I'm based in Zendora Records now, mm. my uh, publishing company. Mm. So what, what they would do is they'll organize writing camps. And so you have eight hours to write a song. Mm. And you gotta figure the song by the end of the day. So there is no like time to like figure out what makes you hit. Because if you spend like two hours trying to find a sound, you got six hours to record, write, and finish a full song. And it's it's like competition because there's like other rooms writing too. So like you and don't so, be the one who doesn't have like the song done at the end of the day. And so it has to be like as in like produced to some level, as in it's not yeah. like you have to have the scale. Done. Okay. No, it's, it's, it has to be done. Like mm. like that final product at the end of the day. Mm. And so like, like this was because like in Sweden, they do this uh, mm. a lot. Like they have all these writing camps. I don't know if you talk to like, like the chain smokers, the guys who work for chain smokers or the one that do they mm. do these kind of writing camps. But like, uh, they like the kennel is one of them. So they basically get the Swedish writers to come in and they just keep writing and writing and writing every day. And then mm. they have the finished product at the end of the day. Mm. And so like John, the, run, the owner of Zender wanted to incorporate that idea here. So he was like, okay, we're going to keep writing. We're gonna have this right time. So it's five days, you gotta have five songs out. Mm. And uh, yeah, so like it was it was it was intense. And in during during those periods, you don't have time to find sounds. So you straight away start with things that you know you're familiar with. So what I finally figure out is I like starting with roads. Mm. Yeah. We start with roads and we find like chord progression. So if if you're not numbers like within the scale, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So mm. we do like a four, six, one, five, you know, mm. like like things that work that we are mm. proven, then we just write straight away. And then as, as, as a producer, you just got to go, got to go, got to go. And as, if the artist has an idea, they'll just come in like, actually, we don't like the one. Maybe change that mm. to a two. Change mm. that to maybe a minor instead. Add mm. this, add that. And then you're, as a producer, you just got to snap, snap, snap. Okay, this sound, I think you need something like, you know, like, like Dua Lipa. Then you just got to like straight away, like think of the head, off the head. It's like, okay, don't start now. Baseline, okay, baseline. Then you just get the bass out. You have to have your go-to like bass sounds, mm. like ready, up and running. So that when the moment they ask you, like, I want a bass because I got an idea. You can't mm. stop and find the right bass. You mm. gotta find the, the nicest bass they have you have and throw it and the one that fits also. So you gotta mm. have like your head, like you gotta know your instruments. Mm. You gotta know what what you are going to use. So I have like Keyscape for Mommy Spear for my roads. I got like contact, that's the Scarby for my bass, and then I mm. go scope those straight away. Mm. And then what you do is if you want to do like further sound design, is when you, let's say you sell the song, or if let's say the artist wants to keep the song. Mm. then you spend more time after that to find interesting sounds. Mm. But usually by the end of it, you have really honestly a full-on track. And eight hours is actually surprisingly enough time if you have like four other people in the room with you. Mm. Enough time to write a full song. Mm. How do you like balance originality versus 
sounding cheesy or sounding cliche or whatever you want to call it. So every song that we start off, like every every song, there's only so many iterations of like the chord progressions you can do, especially like in the fact that the scale is so limited and mm. the amount of progressions that work. So what I do is we start with these chords, but it depends on the writer's melody, the top mm. line writer's melody. And then we change later to make it work to the melody. Mm. So at first I can write something basic, right? And the writer will just sing something like over it. And then when I hear something, I'm like, okay, change that chord. Mm. Like, let's change the voicing here. Let's add a mm. seventh there. Let's remove the third here, add a ninth. You know what I mean? Like mm. stuff like that. Like we just go, go, go. And then the writer also like, some of them are more artistic than me. So mm. some of them have been doing music for like, eons <laughs> so they come in and they're like okay we you can do a 615 but we're going to add in like passing chords here and there here here, here, mm. here. let me play the keyboard i'm going to change up the voicing completely mm. and then for me it's, it's more focusing on like making the drums making the whole thing like click as a song mm. while mm. keeping that creativeness in check so you can't have a lot of creative people in one room you don't mm. actually have and my role honestly like a lot of times people call me the basifier like i'm just like I'm, i make everything basic Mm. But I think they're complicated, creative, artistic, avant-garde shit, and I make it pop. Mm. And like, like, like that's that's the kind of like unique selling point that I carve out. Because if if you go creative and you go too creative, mm. nobody understands it. It's not really easily digestible, and like mm. it becomes it becomes too artsy for the mass media or mm. mass people, like my audience. Whereas I, since I started music at 18, I still have, I still relatively have like very little understanding compared to like people who have been doing it their whole entire lives. I also don't have perfect pitch. Mm. So I hear music very differently. I hear music more in common with the main audience members than with musicians. Mm. Like I'm somewhere stuck in the between. Mm. Do so you have, you, do you, did you like learn music theory or anything or just like? In Bali for like a year, that's about it. Like, mm. Most of it, rest of it is just on, on the internet, just reading up or learning from other artists. Yeah. So like, I would, I would like just bombard them with questions when mm. they tell me things like sus four, and I'm like, what's that? Then they were like, okay, let me show you. <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, I know. I remember, I remember this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I don't care. Like, I don't care if you think that I don't know. Like, I would just ask because like, mm. for me, it's like, that's why I say like, there's no stupid question. It's like better to ask, look dumb, right? Then for this one guy, then to don't ask, play it off. And he looked down for like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, at least I asked this one person, this one person looked at him, ah, he doesn't know a sus chord, ah, dumbass. But this one guy, after that, every other guy would know that I know. And then like, yeah. I just keep repeating that. And then eventually people would just like, stop. Stop thinking that I'm dumbass all the time. <laughs> and and say, like, sorry. Yeah. No, no, as in like, I want to ask like MJ, like, like, because MJ and I used to work, like we worked together on this record from Bills. And so he has experience writing a metal song from start to finish. I, I just recorded the band. I have no idea how they do that. So I wanted to ask on the opposite end of pop, like going straight on to metal, like how was that? Like how did he write with a band? Because I, I rarely write with bands. Mm. I hate bands now. <laughs> Too many ideas. I usually write with one <laughs> at a time. So, but, but MJ writes straight away with like the, a guitarist from, from Bills and like he, he pieces together songs. So I think I'll kind of throw it his corner because I've been talking yeah. too long. <laughs> Oh yeah, it seems to me I forgot to kind of like bring in and talk about the second band that was in. It's this other this metal band from Singapore called Vils. Yeah, and, oh, I didn't realize you were uh, in Vils. Interesting. Yeah, I was, and it it all happened only predominantly during production in the studio as well, and also kind of like the the truly the beginnings to meet meeting and 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 rubbing shoulders with Jason probably how. The production process with Vils concluded 
was with me at Jason's place telling him that I will not see him for two weeks. And I decided to double down and not see him for two months. <laughs> because I, I've spent too long with like four other like smelly men plus, a, plus Jason as well. Uh, <laughs> it was just driving me crazy. But, you know, coming back around with like the writing process, with was, man, I, I, I always have like this perspective that anyone can write. Anyone can write like a piece of music. It's almost kind of like a, it's just a matter of like how good you are with the linguistics of it. It's, it's almost a language of, on its own, right? Like say the, the primary English language, mm. you could write, you could, anyone could kind of like formulate a story that they want to share, a narrative that they want to share. Uh, but it's just a question of, is it grammatically correct? Am I using the word, like the, these vocabulary words, like appropriately? Am I phrasing it out as, as, as slick and as, as proficiently as I could? I, th- I think a lot of that analogy is very parallels and mirrors uh, very accurately with music as well. And is that like in a theoretical sense or is that in like a taste sense? I think it's theoretical. I think it's practical. I think it's technical. I think mm. that can it, that idea, the, the ideology kind of like resonates in all of these aspects as well. Growing up, when I kind of written my first piece of music, 14 or something like that. I don't really know what the hell I was doing either. But mm. I, I think it's the practice of kind of decluttering what's in your head. Um, just finding that one sound that, that is like ongoing mm. and, and just kind of pulling it out from, your, from, from the gray matter that's, above, that's between the ears and, and then just trying to put it down onto paper or put it down onto your instrument. Mm. And, you know, once you kind of get enough practice around that, and once that is, you know, a part of your paradigm uh, in the creative process, then, yeah, like, it almost feels kind of seamless. And you you just kind of pick up an instrument, you just try out something. Then perhaps it becomes a very proactive navigation through other individuals in, in the, this process together with you. Hey, could you maybe perhaps you could do this. Hey, perhaps you could do that. Let's try it out. Ba-da-da-da-ba-da. Okay, actually, this sounds pretty good. How about we kind of mesh both ideas together? Let's try it out again. So half the time when I speak to other like performing artists slash musicians, yeah, uh, with their product, it becomes a scenario where if any third person would to observe us doing it, it kind of feels a bit like insane. We will be like, hey, can you do that? That thing over again? And then everyone else will be like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, I'm like, damn, like, okay, you know, uh, measure 15, bar 15, let's go back there again. Mm. And that has been the ongoing challenge with like bringing it towards the film, the film and media industry, yeah. if I'm honest, mm. because that has always been like the, the level of communication that I have with other musicians. But I can, I'm starting to discover and to learn that I can't speak like that to, to film directors and film producers as well. Yeah. Uh, because they just can't catch the ball as, as quickly. So. Yeah, say, how I does think... that work? Do people come to you saying, I want to have something like the Pirates of the Caribbean, or are they like, I have this, I have this video and I want to make it cool? How does it work? Right. So I think maybe this is also a good time for me to briefly introduce like the process with the film and media side of things. Yeah. You know, it kind of starts off with perhaps an agency or production house emailing us and saying like they have this product so-and-so that's trying to promote or advertise a certain campaign or something. And they would have like a 
sometimes usually they will have like a 20 or 30 page long PDF to kind of explain to you what this, this product and this advertisement campaign is about, of which within this PDF, they would indicate like for music, this is the temp track, this is the reference. We're hoping for something that's warm. I mean, I'm hoping, actually these are the, this is the truly like the, the ingredient I'm looking for, especially with, with my film, my filmmaking friends. Like I'm hoping for words like, you know, warm, uplifting, uh, melancholy, depressing. Yeah, things like that. I mm. think those, those would be very helpful for, for people like Jason and myself. Mm. I understand that people tend to hate reference tracks and temp tracks because moving forward, it becomes a, an uphill battle for Jason and myself to like, create something that's fresh and that's original, but you know, your, your clients have something else in their head. And, but I think in the context that usually involves very, very limited window of time, like an advertisement campaign, this is really kind of all you can work with because like you might find yourself writing, Jason and I, we wrote a song for, for an advertisement in 12 hours. Mm. And yeah, and this is composed, mixed, mastered, everything um, mm. together in 12 hours, ready to go. Yeah, and it was a nightmare. But I mean, if there is uh, a brief introduction to towards what the industry is expecting from you, this could be perhaps one of them. Mm. And then... From moving forward from there, it becomes a lot of conversations with, with the, the head of departments from the, cre- the creative side. They'll be like, okay, you know, I like the track, but be- maybe uh, this part we're trying to hit, we're hoping for the music to hit a certain key visual. Right. And we're like, okay, we, we'll see what we can do. We can't like, sure, we can't yeah, walk. But they don't always tell you that before. If you're like midway through, you know, bar three and a half, you can't just have, here's a random hit. I don't know. How yeah, yeah. <laughs> we struggle with that all the time. And and we do have our spotting sessions prior, you know, when they hand us like the first offline, which is like a picture log before before they proceed great color grading the, the video. We do get to have a first hand look at what, what the video looks like, how the pace of the of the film kind of goes about. And then we'll kind of pick out areas with the directors, with the producers, like, okay, around this period. We're hoping for like an impact, like something a bit more dramatic. We're right. hoping for things to kind of like die down slightly and then kind of have a huge rush back in again. A lot, I, I recognize that a lot of the job between Jason and myself isn't just about the technical side of understanding what they're trying to tell us and then like, and then translate it musically. But sometimes a part of our job is also kind of navigating with them and educating them like, hey, I get where you're coming from, but some of these things might not necessarily uh, be translated as well as you might have hoped for because, you, have, you know, like, like you said, Alex, music kind of works on like this, uh, about four, about three, whatever, tempo stays the same. We have to complete a phrase be- before we begin a new one. So there, it's, it's kind of like highlighting to them like some of the constraints that, that audio and music may introduce into this mm. scenario. And then it becomes a very... Hopefully, it becomes a very amicable discussion uh, with uh, with the the team across the fence that will kind of like settle and split the diff almost into a scenario where we could rediscover or reconceptualize uh, a different angle, perhaps. So I just want to cut in and just like say like, okay, so for the barring situation, right, you will find me and MJ arguing so much because he would say, I would tell him, this cannot work. And he'll tell me, it can. If we go into a 4-4 to a 3-4, then a 5-4, it'll hit. And then I'll be like, oh my God, it doesn't make sense. Then he'll be like, no, it 
work, Jason. It works. In film, this is how it works. And I'm like, no, it doesn't work in music. And like, it will be amicable. Like, we will go to them and like, this this can, we can, we see we made it work. But behind the scenes, me and MJ going like, a 4, 4, 3, 4, 5, 4, like, like, what can we abuse? <laughs> Yeah. How can we abuse music to hit the point? Yeah, that is weird. If people are like, okay, I want something melancholy, are you like, okay, well, we're going to go to this mode or this, like, we're going to have these kinds of changes. Is it really conscious? Or or do you have a list of, I guess, like, things that you've, like, worked on before, or, like, motifs, ideas that you've worked on before where you're like, ah, maybe this one might fit? For me specifically, it really ties down to the picture I'm looking at. I... You know, in, in a perfect world, I, I wish like I could consolidate a database worth of information of musical information and just kind of pray to God one day that I land a project that has uh, a piece of music at the back of my closet that I can pull out and 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 ensure that it fits. Mm. But I truly get very inspired when I see the hard work that has been done crafting the image mm. and, and just kind of like following through the narrative. So and then on my side, it begins when when I when I see a picture and I kind of try and formulate like a a melody line, almost like a top line, a scenario with Jason, in Jason's context. As I'm, I'm watching the film, I might it might be a bit weird, like where I'll start watching the picture and I'll start humming to myself, hmm. and and then I'm like, okay, I mean that thing in my head, it, it seems like it worked out pretty well here. So let me try and like you know bring out the keyboard, kind of like craft it out first, and then see what kind of other accompaniment can can be put in. So for me, it seemed it seemed very natural to to work from melody down, then right. reverse engineer down to to the accompaniments, to the the chordal changes, to the modes, etc. And I I felt I mean through the practice, I felt like I didn't have to worry so much about progressions and modes because if I had like a a, a key melody that worked naturally and seamlessly with picture whatever accompaniments you put it uh, underneath after that would still make sense anyway. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense when I think about the best, the best soundtracky type music for me. Like, I remember I played a lot of Final Fantasy as a kid. I, I like, genuinely listen to that, that stuff, like, because yeah. it just, like, takes you to the place that that music was designed for, right? And it's kind of hard to imagine that he sat there and was like, oh, this is a sad one, so I'm going to write it in this mode or in this way. It's like, it yeah. has to have actually been inspired by the content of the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, on, right, there's some things where we will also look at like the era that they're trying to hit. Mm. So like, like some of it, we, we did like, for, for example, for Puma, what we did was we, we wanted something modern yet like, oh. And at the point of time, like, Uptown Funk was coming out. Mm. And like, me and MJ, we were like, that sounds like 80s, 70s, but done today. Mm. Let's put that in because you want to you want to give something timeless. And so mm. that's how we talk about that. When we did that, that was our concept. Like, okay, mm. gotta do like uh, the genre is basically Uptown Punk, Bruno Mars, 24K Magic. That's the genre. Mm. That's how we're gonna do it. Mm. And then like uh, if we want to make it even more, because at that point in time, 2018, like rap was on the rise. Mm. I was like, okay, you know what? Then we throw in a rap beat. Hmm. somewhere along the line we were going to do it that's where we had like 3-4 arguments because I was like okay you know what we decided in the end let's just put a gong <laughs> <laughs> and then the gong will fill the silence and then like, after that the rap beat and then after that put another gong and then like we'll go back to the, the beat that's how we're going to fix the BPM change and then I was like okay fuck it like we're done <laughs> like there's no other way to make this work we, we tried everything 
Yeah, and so like I want to go listen to that now. Yeah, listen out for it. You hear like just suddenly the music stops, and then you're just like, oh, okay, so this is where they couldn't figure out how to do the music. <laughs> <laughs> and but the thing is, you hide it well, so with the visuals, right? Because at that point in time, the visuals, there's this yoga person doing this, and it goes this way. So yeah. then it was like, oh, because meditation, then got gong, you know, like change the environment. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, a lot of it also does like for me. It comes from like seeing the era or like the country or like the sounds like like depends on on that like if we can't take response like like uh besides melody we can take from like history also mm. so and then uh you mentioned Final fantasy because like i watch a lot of anime and play a lot of games too and so if you watch a lot of anime right, you see like some some stuff like i don't know if you heard of jojo's bizarre uh, bizarre adventures it's on netflix so they have like uh, these characters that are from Italy, from like Spain, and like mm. how they do theme songs for each enemy character is based on the country. Mm. So they build mm. it up from there, and like that. Mm. That when I was when I was doing music, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, mm. like I, I let's say if I'm working with someone from LA, I would or like I'll go and research all all about LA culture. If I'm working from someone from Sweden, I gotta know what is in with Sweden, like mm. Swedish music, what's mm. happening there, the history. Mm. And even with MJ, I think it comes to sound design or like or I think scoring, right? It also comes in with like the history of of like orchestration. Mm. Like we cannot forget history. Mm. You cannot like forget the things that people have done before. Because if mm. you just choose to ignore that and think that you're super dope and like whatever you come up yeah. with is meant, you're, you're gonna fall into the same pitfalls. Well, one of the things that's really interesting about chatting to you both is a lot of the time when people think about creativity, there's this idea of individual genius of that mm. person and their own ideas whereas it seems like both of you are very interested in other people's ideas and what's good about their ideas and how to use and adapt that in an interesting way rather than like trying to be the like originators of something that no one's ever thought before you know yeah and like the reason why is because like you want you want these creatives right what i feel like like the strongest my strongest suit is i can take your idea Right, and I can make that into a, from like a B C grade idea into like an A one idea, you know. Mm. Like, and that I feel like is more, much more of a better skill set than trying to create something original from scratch because that's so hard. You need to be born with that, that mm. that way of thinking. Like, if you really look at like the eccentrics of the world, like Kanye, right? Like he mm. creates so many like unique sounds, but he's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> It's hard so, to reliably be Kanye West. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and so like, to recreate that on a professional level, like to say like, I'm going to be like Kanye West, then you have to live like him. You got to think like him. You got to behave like him. Like the way he, he works, the, the way he talks to people, how he believes in himself and do this. Like I, he thinks he's a god, you know? Mm. Like if you don't think that way, you're not going to be anywhere close to creating content like Kanye. Yeah. But if I can take your, let's say you have something good there and we can refine it. And we refine it again and again and again and we hit that process. Then what we can do is we can just keep refining ideas and us normal people who are not so insane and like and like like eccentric, we can find a way to compete with with someone that creative. Mm. Because in, in our line, right, there's no such there's for, for us, there's no such thing as today I don't feel like creative. Mm. I don't I don't feel like creative. There's there's I cannot wake up on a Monday and say, Hey man, nah, I can't I can't do your I can't do your song today. I just don't feel like it. Because mm. creatives do that. Mm. Like, do original, like, like really, like, be trying to be original. They, they, most of the time, I don't know whether this is true. That's, I refer to you because you talked to a lot of them. <laughs> but, like, yeah, like I mean, some, some of them, yeah, like, some people I've chatted yeah. to said, I didn't do any music for like six months because I didn't yeah. want to. 
but for like us producers, like if if I if you if I come in and I tell you I can't do your music because I just don't feel like doing it for six months, my rent's not gonna get paid. <laughs> so I, I have to cons- uh, So we developed this way of like consistently creating unique music mm. and unique stuff by consistently doing things thing where we take your ideas and refine and we build ourselves based off like the ideas of so many people because. Mm. If you let's say like I, how I do a song is I would I would take multiple different references right and if you steal an idea from one song it's called stealing but if let's say I take sorry not sorry I take bang bang and I take Sierra's level up I put it into one song isn't that original mm. like no one no one th- would think that these three songs can go together mm. right but if I f- figure out a way to make them all work in then isn't that a totally new original idea? Like, what if I make the choruses the uh, drum pattern from Sierra's level? What if I make Sorry Not Sorry's uh, uh, baseline like the chorus like baseline, and then I put in Bang Bang's overall vibe on it? Mm. Like that would be a completely original like idea that the creators of Bang Bang, Sorry Not Sorry, and the Sierra's level up did not think of. Mm. And so if we piece together a lot, right? That's no longer like for me, it's no longer stealing. Mm. It's your thing inspiration you're taking references you're taking like ideas and you're you're mashing up so many ideas right and all my productions are really just complete mashes of maybe like dozens of songs Mm. on days where i don't feel like being original i i mean i was just like hearing out what jason had to share earlier and also Mm. i think from your deduction of our creative process it makes a lot of sense and i i had I never had the chance to think of like Jason and my own creative process to be to work out in such a manner as well. Almost reiterating like a point of how it it seemed to me that Jason and me myself like to be a complementary, like to see the creative process as like a complementary collaborative effort with whoever that comes in comes into the picture with us, regardless artists and regardless uh, our corporate brand client branded clients. I don't think we. I you I think you're absolutely right. I don't I don't think we're aspiring towards like creating like groundbreaking new uh, um, formula or new sound per se. Uh, if it does come round to the picture where we have the flexibility to do so, I think we are more than happy. We will be more than happy to explore that. But I think more often than not, for me, I I really rest rest on the wisdom of my musical process begins with not thinking so much about the musical process. <laughs> it thinks it involves with like a lot of communication with people that might not necessarily do music in the first place. I think particularly with like film and TV projects and stuff, like I just want to know like where the cinematographer's perspective is coming from. I I would like to know where the director's perspective is coming from with this narrative. And Mm. and from there, like it becomes a, okay, then how can I provide something onto the table that complements what uh, the overarching uh, theme and, and narrative would be? So, yeah. I think that would sum up like the process. Question on that: Do you do you feel it satisfying for you in the way that, like earlier, we were talking about how you want to write a song with meaning or whatever, right? That's almost a weirdly selfish thing where it's like it's an expression of something personal to you if the song is meaningful for you. Whereas if you're trying to make someone else feel something, then that's personal to them, right? And so if you're working with a client where like your job is to make them them feel good how does that does that bring you a sense of personal fulfillment in the way that like writing a song that's meaningful to you would Ooh. <laughs> uh, i am I, I think answering that question i am blessed thus far to have worked on campaigns where 
where I could create a scenario where my clients enjoy the product and I'm there and I enjoyed the the process of creating the product as well and the and the idea around this 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 product as well. I haven't it hasn't come to a place where I had to or I, I hope Jason as well had to like feel like we absolutely hate what we've produced just for this this then client. Mm. So with I think when it comes down to if if it ever happens, like I'll let I'll let you know <laughs> uh, in the near future. <laughs> but as of now, you know what? I think we have been quite fortunate now to think about it. Mm. I will quote MJ yeah. on this. You know, I will like say like something he's always told me, right? Which is why like I'll say this is the answer to your question. We're just we're already doing music. That's already a win. Yeah. Whatever music so, that we do, yeah. like that doesn't matter. The fact that we can do music and make money off of it. In, in in today's like system in Singapore, you know, like that's mind blowing. Like 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 yeah, I agree. parents probably said like you can't do this. Like all the parents in Singapore probably went like, nah man, don't do music. But we we've broken through that. And the fact that we can do that every single day, yeah. Like yeah. I don't I, I don't think it like it matters whether or not like like if we if we have to like like making us like someone else happy or making us happy. Like the fact that we can just do music regardless of who's happy. the process of, yeah, exactly, 100%. Yeah, the fact we can just do music is already like, we are like, woo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. For me personally, I've had like, I guess like a normal career so far. And so like, there's something that's just unbelievable when you meet people who haven't, right? Who actually did what everyone tells you is just not really possible uh, yeah. so yeah so, uh, i i totally get that i it's like really inspiring for me to meet people like you guys no and like that that that's great like that's the thing about doing things you love like for a living like that gets you up a bit instead of like going like fuck it's nine o'clock i need to get a walk you go like wake <laughs> up like oh i'm gonna wake up at seven i'm gonna get this shit done i'm gonna hit the gym i'm gonna get to like or get on the call like like it drives you because you're happy and you don't you don't need to earn like five ten figures yeah, I mean, like yeah. you don't need like six figure salaries. Yeah. You you could just earn something like like along like a line of five figures, right? And a year, and you would be happy. And the thing is, you can't buy happiness. No matter I mean what Ariana Grande says, like if you if you don't <laughs> if you can't buy happiness, you just don't have enough money. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you know, she's wrong. Like like I think I think it's it's really about like the fact that I mean, if you can survive and you like and you're not like wanting for anything and you're doing what you love, yeah. like doesn't matter like straight up if we are like working for a brand and if we have to make someone else happy or like we have to like like do stuff that really makes us go like oh right our brains by the end of the day when we listen to it it's like it's all worth it yeah i get that maybe the flip side of this have you ever disliked the music that you make yes i've written things that i hate (laughs) a lot of things that i hate (laughs) i listen back and i hate a lot of it but like like so someone shared with me this long a, a while back and it's like if you write 10 songs, you're probably only going to get one good one. Mm. So you got to write 100 to get 10 good ones and that's got to be your album. And like, mm. and like, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that, that makes sense. And so like, the reason why I keep writing and even though I keep hating and look back is the fact that I want to hit that one song, that golden mm. goose. You know I mean, like that one song where I go like, oh, today it's like, you know, just for some reason, it, it clicked. Mm. But if let's say I didn't work on these nine other songs before this one song, I probably wouldn't have reached this point. Mm. yeah um, really basic question then how much do you actually do this like what's your output i would say straight up 
this is all of uh, MJ's book. Like I actually looked up to this this one producer. His name is Shahrukh Khan. He's from the in, uh, India's like like uh, music composition scene. Mm-hmm. He writes like hundred and fifty songs a year. Mm. So that means he writes two, a song every two days or mm. every two days. So it, he's the biggest in, Indian like like a composer slash like producer. Mm. So if he's, that's his standard, that's the standard I want to hit. Mm. But you know, for us, the reason why we don't hit that much is we do more other things besides songwriting. So that's mm. like mixing, that's mastering. But, and there's also that's like a corporate stuff. So we try our best because when sometimes when corporate stuff comes in, like it's really like intense. So you don't yeah. have that way to write two songs in one day because you're already struggling like struggling to write that one song mm. in two days mm. and then there's always the write the song and then go back so there's a lot of versions that you don't see come out like mm. we, we for Fanta we did like three different beats and only one got chosen mm. so like we do still hit that quota of two songs every day but not, not everything comes out mm. but I think like MJ and I agree that it should roughly be about two or three songs a day uh, two, uh, one song every two or three days Mm. I think I can answer that question not by songs, but and also because pertaining towards once again to the, the film and media industry one, I, I could answer that question in seconds. And I think I saw I, I read up this article. I'm not exactly sure if it's the most credible, so don't quote me on it too much. Also, John Williams, uh, John mm. Williams, you know, scores like crazy Star Wars, Jurassic Park, stuff like that he apparently turns out 90 seconds worth of orchestral material a day wow. with all its intricacies, with the counter melodies, with the melodies, and you know how, like, you go to your, your, your next Star Wars soundtrack and imagine, like, the whole album, like, it's 90 seconds turn off a day from that and you start kind of, like, doing the, the reverse engineering process from there. 90 seconds is a lot. <laughs> For considering the kind of uh, kind of music that he works with, yeah. So, I think if that is a standard that that any individual could aspire towards, I think it's a pretty good trajectory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's super interesting. Thank you, Alex. Thank I you love so what much. you both do. It's like. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, share it on social media, and have a good day.